0: sometimes life wants something for you that is a little bigger than your limited expectation of yourself.
1: Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship This show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. I'm really excited to announce a brilliant guest to kickstart our new series of 40 Minute Mentor. And it's with the infectiously optimistic author of Soul for Happy and a podcast legend, Mo Gordat. As you'll hear in this episode, Mo forged an illustrious career in tech. He was chief business officer at Google X, heading up their infamous moonshot factory, the home of solving audacious and bold projects. Following this sudden tragic death of his son Ali in 2014, Mo was inspired to shift his focus to spreading happiness around the world with his book, Solve for Happy, and his new venture, One Billion Happy. In our chat, Mo shares more about his purpose-driven career, the dangers of racing to the top too fast, and how to nurture happiness at the heart of everything you do. So let's hear from the brilliant man himself, Mo Gordat. Mo, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. Thank you so much for joining us today. We wanted to start this week's episode in a a slightly different way uh, with a happiness CV, given that you are a happiness expert. So if you don't mind finishing the following sentences with whatever comes to mind first. Are you ready?
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. Never done that before. (laughs) Slow thinker. Let's see how it it. works.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right. First question. When you were younger, you always
0: wanted to be? Uh, Smarter. Good answer. Um, your first job was? Uh, my very first job was counting cars uh, for a traffic survey of some sort in the middle of the busiest street in Cairo. One uh, full day of work and I made something around 40 US dollar cents. Hurrah.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, you were unhappiest in your career
0: When? When i made the most amount of money and the biggest amount of success interesting we will come back to that
1: on the flip side you were happiest in your career when
0: right now brilliant
1: you were most energized when
0: always every single minute of my career was a fantastic ride other than when i had decided to switch jobs which normally took me around six months uh, and full transparency with my team and my bosses and whatever but I never spent a minute uh, clinging on to a job that wasn't making me incredibly happy. Wonderful.
1: And finally, can you share something with our listeners that we wouldn't necessarily know from your CV?
0: <laughs> had COVID for three weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was nasty. Four of my best friends had it this year uh, and uh, come, came out of it last week with one one feeling, which is, I am so grateful not to be in pain. Doesn't matter if I have a Ferrari or not, if I have a you know a, a beautiful whatever or not, just not to be in pain is such a gift, and I'm so grateful for it.
1: Oh well, yeah, I I, I completely understand that, and I'm really pleased to see you looking well and and fully recovered, um, because I yeah, know it's I, been a I am too, yeah, a horrible <laughs> time. It's really, <laughs> it really
0: is very unusual, actually. I mean, it's like a flu, but disguised and and really nasty so anyway yeah
1: and it's just yeah the way it impacts people so differently as well it's uh, it doesn't really take any prisoners well listen thank you for sharing those mo good to get a a few early insights into your career and i wanted to start by looking at purpose-driven careers so we're we're an executive search firm uh, you know passionate about all things careers and you decided to switch you know from having had 11 very successful years at, at Google X and where you left as chief business officer, so, you know, incredibly successful career. And then you changed things up uh, to, to follow this uh, purpose-driven career. So what led you to make such a big change?
0: My, my story is very particular, if you want. I mean, I, I spent seven years at Google, uh, head of emerging markets. Uh, so I opened half of Google's businesses worldwide, close to like 49% or something like that. And then uh, I, um, I I went to Google X as chief business officer, spent five years in what I call the best job on the planet. Uh, so chief business officer, I would probably say, is even more fun than CEO of Google X because, uh, you know, basically it allowed me to face the world as well, not just inside, if you want. And then uh, two years into my career at Google X, sadly, I lost my wonderful son. And Ali was everything to me, to be honest. I mean, he was my son, my best friend. He was uh, my coach in many, many, many ways. I mean, this young man was so wise. He was so wise. He taught me so much. And when he was 16, I remember I used to think to myself, when I grow older, I want to be like Ali. And so this pillar in my life leaves us. He was 21 and a half at the time. He leaves the world due to medical malfunction, a very simple surgical operation he had an appendix inflammation and the surgeon did five mistakes in a row four hours later we lose honey and uh, and i find myself in that sort of moment of truth if you want and and in that moment of truth i had to make a choice of so what happens now do i hit my head against the wall for 27 years and then on his deathbed he's still not going to be back on my deathbed he's still not going to be back or do I try to do something with this? And and so it hit me very strongly on day four uh, after he left that I should probably quickly document what he taught me, what we developed together. So we were a very good team on the topic of happiness because I'm the engineer with the mathematics and rigor, if you want, and he was the heart that knew everything inst- instinctively. And so 17 days after he died, I found myself writing. I, I wrote nonstop. I actually wrote... 600 pages about the topic of happiness in four and a half months. And then, of course, the editors and the publishers, you know, wanted it to be a little more manageable. So we reduced it to like 365 or something. But basically, uh, Solve for Happy was an engineer's view of happiness. And I wrote the book with two intentions. One is for me to document what I learned from my guru, if you want, Uh, And the second was to spread his message at the time to a target of 10 million people. I chose 10 million as, you know, an ambition to say if I could get his message to 10 million people through six degrees of separation in 200 years, Ali will be everywhere and part of everyone, which was his dream, really, uh, that he told his sister before he left our planet that that he was everywhere and part of everyone. And so I wrote and wrote and wrote and then something happened. Uh, that's bigger than marketing and bigger than, uh, you know, all the knowledge I knew at Google to spread the message. A few things happened and six weeks into uh, the launch of the book, my message became viral, reached 110 million people in the first eight weeks. And uh, and so I found myself questioning uh, if I should continue to create more artificial intelligence and more robotics and more technology which i have done for 25 years of my life or if there is something more important and so as a small team uh, we were 5 at the time 1 billion happy became a reality uh, we we decided we will grow the the target from 10 million happy at the time to 1 billion happy i remember i announced that in amsterdam in november 2017 and it became clear that i needed to change my ability to do things and so i left google in march 2018
1: wow what a story and i i mean i think anyone listening to this or just to, the way you've dealt with such a traumatic experience and, and grief of, of losing your son in, in those sorts of circumstances i think is is beyond inspiring really can you tell us a little bit about i think for anyone that there are probably people listening to this that may be sort of themselves may be struggling with grief at this time you know given everything that's going on with the world can you tell us a bit about kind of why you decided to to kind of I guess what is often a private grieving process what was it that made you take that that leap of faith to kind of you know be public about this and 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 spread this message because I mean it's an incredible thing you're doing but I I just wondered was there a moment that that you just felt you've got to do it
0: well I I don't I don't know if you know you, you can always tell a story backwards and say hey you know I thought this way and I built that and I did this and that's not true at all all I recall is two moments. One, one moment which really anchored us in, in the truth. You know, when Ali left our world, medical malpractice, he was here in Dubai. I was a very senior Googler. Huh? I mean, I, I at the time was running Google X as a bi- chief business officer as a, with my base in Dubai. I had been in Dubai for 10 years at the time or maybe 10, nine years as a very senior Googler. And so the government officials called me at the time and said, we heard what happened. I mean, most of them were close contacts. I worked very closely with the government, you know, on uh, on the internet and technology in general and innovation. And so they said, look, you know, we will get to the bottom of this. This will not go unnoticed. And would you mind if we performed an autopsy on Ali's body? And so his mother was next to me. His mother is an amazing, amazing woman, pure feminine wisdom. And I said, Uh, Nibel, would you you be okay if they performed an autopsy on Ali's body? And she raised her head slowly, looked at me with teary eyes and said, would it bring Ali back? And would it bring Ali back is not just a question, okay? It's the truth summarized in a few words. That there are sometimes things that life throws at us that are not going to change. Do what you want. Hit your head against the wall for 27 years. Nothing's going to change. He's not going to come back. OK. And, you know, of course, for someone like me, who is a very senior executive, who's paid handsomely for solving problems that seem to be unsolvable, that's not something you're used to. You're not used to the idea of I can't change this. But yes, there are things we cannot change. OK. And and the idea here is, you know, if you come from my background and my culture and, you know, my Islamic upbringing and so on, we, we have a concept that we call Committed acceptance. It's not surrender, okay? It's acceptance of the new baseline of your life based on the reality that you can't change it. Okay? Married to commitment. And commitment is despite the fact that I can't bring Ali back, I still can make my life and the lives of others better, despite his absence. Okay? As a matter of fact, because of his absence, which is really, really something to think about. And so when when Nibel said will it bring Ali back? I had been struggling at the time with my brain attacking me heavily for the first four days, telling me you should have driven him to another hospital. Okay. And I have a very simple process in the way I deal with my brain as, again, as a, a, you know, committed happiness practitioner, which is I allow my brain to only give me joyful thoughts or useful thoughts. Okay. And the the, the thought you should have driven him to another hospital, though very true in the heart of a griefing parent, is actually not a thought that we can do anything about. So it's not something that I can act upon. And so I started to ask my brain to give me a useful thought. All right. And when Nibel said, will it bring Ali back? Uh, I realized that the only thing that can be useful is to do something in the absence of Ali. Rather than stay in grief, Can I somehow do something with him gone already? And so four days later, when that happened, my brain started to go like, okay, maybe not drive him to another hospital. What if you shared his model with the world? What if you made them know him as you know him, love him as you loved him? You know, and and maybe, maybe, you know, that would be a good way to honor him.
1: Yeah, I I love how you turned something so sad, uh, you know, such a difficult experience into something that's so positive and beneficial to, to many many people i just think that's a says a lot about you
0: it's not unusual it's not unusual so i don't take credit for it i you know i have my my podcast slow mo which is very very successful i started it in the times of COVID, and i interviewed arun gandhi arun gandhi is the grandson of gandhi and he wrote a book that's called the gift of anger okay And, you know, I'm the kind of person who's very peaceful, so I don't understand. How how can anger be a gift? And so I asked him the question literally like five minutes into the conversation. I said, how can that be a gift, Arun? And he said, well, anger, like every other emotion, is an energy, right? It's, you know, you you can... Cultivate that energy and do anything you want with it. You can be in rage and destructive and hurt people and shout at people, or you can take it to fix an ideology, or to appeal to the rest of the world, or to share with others, or whatever. Use the energy as the way you you deem to use it properly, right? And I love that concept. Huh? I mean, it's not it's not a secret. I'll be I'll be very open. I wake up maybe three, four times a week, thinking about my son and missing him, missing, you know, losing a child is a very, very different level of grief. Hmm? Yeah, I miss him. And every, every morning I wake up, my brain will say, Ali died. Right. And, and again, you know, remember, it's only joyful thoughts or useful thoughts so I answer and I say yeah sometimes I answer and and I say by the way yes but he also lived which is a very positive thought by the way a very jo- usual you, you know joyful thought but the other thought is okay yes he left what are we going to do about it brain right and so I get up I'll get out of bed and I said let's make another thousand people happy today you know that's 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 the only thing you can do with that energy
1: no thank you mate and I, I'm interested compared to your previous life as a kind of tech exec, Microsoft, Google, how have your mindset and motivation been affected by this kind of change to really, or striving to f- fulfill your purpose that you kind of, after
0: this, this challenging experience? Very, very interesting, actually, because remember, uh, one of the biggest things that happiness is missing in the world is that those who advocate happiness are the kindest, most wonderful people in the world, Right. And so they're not shrewd business people like I am, right? And and, and we all know that we need a bit of targets and a bit of measurement and a bit of pushing yourself and a bit of A-B testing for anything to grow in today's modern world. So surprisingly, I'm... You know, the, normally called the happiness engineer because the way of the way sort for happy has been written. But I'm also the happiness businessman. It's like I'm—I I don't make money at all. As a matter of fact, I spend all of the money I made on the mission regularly. Uh, but the idea of trying to use methods of how many people, you know, got that content delivered to them, how many took actions, how many spread it to others, and so on and so forth. These are good techniques to spread a good message. That's that's one thing. I think the other thing, however, which is really humbling to an amazing level. Huh? First, I learned it in my happiness mission, but then I started to apply it back to my career. And I know this might, might upset you, but it, it it held very true. When you're doing what I'm doing, if, I don't know if you read uh, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. You know, in The Alchemist, he says, when you know your life's purpose, the universe conspires to make it happen. Okay. And that statement is really interesting because... The universe truly conspired to make my mission go far. But this is not me doing things. Huh? I mean, one billion happy as a mission—that's madness. Huh? It took Jesus two thousand years to reach a billion people. So who am I, right? And I'm never going to reach a billion people. Understand? I know. I know my capabilities. Huh? But. But some things happen and and people show up and technology shows up and, you know, corporates show up and somehow Channel 4, which is supposed to be reporting negative news all the time in the UK, you know, becomes one of my biggest allies reporting on happiness and, you know, creating viral content for me that gets the message further, right? And when you really think about it, when you really think about it, you suddenly realize something that the most pivotal successes you've ever had in your life were mostly not done by you they were done for you or through you okay and if you look back at your career i mean in in reality i've worked really hard really hard in every job i've ever you know been blessed with okay but at the end of the day it wasn't just my hard work that got me where i where it got me i mean think about it i'm an egyptian born and raised in egypt Hmm? educated in public schools, public universities in Egypt. It's very unlikely when you really think about it to become the chief business officer of Google X. And if I tell you the story, maybe a story for another time, you would know how much luck was involved in that. Hmm? Notice, huh? it's not a secret that I will tell you openly in the corporate world of the United States where Google X resides, there must be 10, 15, 25,000 people that are more qualified than I am to be the chief business officer of Google Ads, right? It's, it's you know, it's a highly wanted job and there are thousands of business people. You have to understand that sometimes, and I call it feminine intelligence, sometimes you have to trust the flow of life, okay? And when you flow with life through you know, paradoxical, uh, embracing the paradox is feminine intelligence through flow in itself, which is feminine intelligence, uh, through intuition, which is feminine intelligence. Unlike what we're taught, everything has to be determined and pushed and planned. and Right? No, no, no. Sometimes life wants something for you that is a little bigger than your limited expectation of yourself. And when you flow with life, I will tell you openly, I think this truly is something that changes everything. And and this I felt very strongly in the mission. And then as I looked backward at my career, I realized it was also true of my joining Google X, my joining Google, my joining Microsoft and so
1: on. Okay, it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear you speak about it. And I'm sure there are people that will listen to this who will, you know, Desire to to reach the sort of levels that you have in business. Uh, I'm I'm interested. Clearly, there was an there's always element of luck, and clearly your mindset and the way you approach life and business has helped you get to where you are today. But in that earlier part of your career, are are there particular characteristics or traits, or are there things that anyone listening to this can learn from? Do you think from from your experience?
0: I would say three three things really 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 determined where I got in life. Uh, One of them is I worked with life, not against life, okay? And that's really, really interesting because, you know, I had a, an experience very early in my career where I sold the deal. I was a, a salesman and at IBM, account manager, as we used to call it. And I sold the deal that eventually I realized was not going to work, okay? Uh, it was a very critical business because it was sold to the Educational Buildings Organization, which was the organization that was responsible to rebuild the schools of Egypt after the 1992 earthquake. And so four months in, I realized, I'm actually harming every school student in Egypt, right? By my systems not working, because they were not configured right, or they were not fit for the solution, they were not going to work. And so I stopped and I went to the head of the organization. I said, you should cancel my order, right? Which is unheard of, you know, when you have, I think it was a $4.2 million order or something. And and yeah, and, and he was like, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I mean, I realized this stuff is not going to work, right? And I realized I'm delaying you. And I think this, you know, if you get that from Oracle and this from AutoCAD and whatever, it will work better. And, you know, I just want to be honest with you. IBM as an organization was incredibly supportive, right? Uh, you know, because they believed in customers for the long term. In no time at all, I got orders of magnitude, bigger orders, from that client in direct orders, which was government. Huh? So it's very unlikely. Huh? But then I learned that you don't actually have to fight life. If you work with life, if you work for the goodness hmm, of others, for the prosper, uh, uh, prospering of others, hmm, somehow life pays you back. And I've seen that in every part of my life. That's number one. Number two is I actually believed that life is a video game. Okay which meant two things. One is there's no point playing when you're not having fun. And we spoke about that briefly. I've never spent time in a job that I didn't like. So I started Google Emerging Markets. It was an amazing, amazing, amazing job. You know, the expansion, the language expansion, the economic impact we had in so many languages around the world. You know, it's amazing, amazing in every possible way. But then there was a point in time where they said, okay, now that we're established, we need to bring in CRM and, you know, ERP and all of that weird stuff that I am the, wh- the worst person in the world at. I don't follow rules very well. I'm, I am much more into the innovation stage. And so that basically at the time when you're ruling an empire of, you know, I don't know how many countries, it's really stupid to say, and by the way, I'm leaving. And I did. Okay. And, you know, and I, ha, you know, I had no idea where I was going and then Google X shows up. Right. And so that idea of really, it's hard to know your purpose, huh? but it's easy to know what isn't. Okay. It's easy to know what doesn't resonate with who you are. And I never really did that. The other side, which is the third point of life is a video game. I'm a very serious gamer. I mean, you look at me, old man, bald, you know, no, but I will beat all of you. Anyone listening? I, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I gamed quite a lot more after my son left to honor him, and so I'm I'm in the legendary scope of gamers, Olympic champion level. Don't tell anyone, Love right? It. But but gamers, we look at life very differently. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you. I'll share with you a story that I shared in my books. So or for happy. When I played with Ali, I used to be heroic, and he used to be legendary right he was much better level than i am so but he would entertain me when the level would start i would run to the right okay and run directly to the end of the level and, pa- and ali would put his controller down and say papa wh- why why are you running there and i'm go- and i'm like the end of the level is here and he goes like who wants to go to the end of the level we're playing right and when you really think about it we actually miss that in our lives and in our careers you get to the end of the level Hmm? And uh, and what? You die. You get to the end of the job and you now have to change. You don't enjoy, enjoy that process of actually enjoying the level. Ali, on the other hand, would run to the places where there are explosions and smoke. Okay. And that now puzzles me. It's like, what? Are, why are you doing that, Ali? And he would say, Papa, this is where all the fun is. But also... Hmm? You know, a little bit of a challenge makes life really interesting. Nobody wants to push a controller and wait 70 years. That's very boring. But also the more interesting side is he would say, this is where you develop and grow. And this is where you become a better gamer, which then I I didn't understand it when he taught me that. But then I read a book called Finite and Infinite Games, which was really about the idea that some games are one. So if you play tennis, you have to win right? But some games are infinite. You just, you're there to play. hmm? So you're playing Halo or, you know, whatever. hmm? You're no longer trying to win anything. You're just enjoying the gameplay. And when you're in that infinite game, the joy of the the gameplay is the only path for you to be the absolute best gamer you can become. And in Ali's words, that's the purpose of life. So the purpose of life is not to put yourself at destination that's 40 years away and chase it. The purpose of life is, can you actually become the absolute best you can be, you have the potential to be? Okay, that's it. And so my purpose of life, going back to the idea of things being done through you or for you, my purpose of life is I wake up today and I have this conversation between us and I tell myself, can I do this as best as I can? Can I do it? As good or better than the last time I had a conversation, can I do the next one better? Okay. And that's it. And when you start to see that, you start to realize that life then uses you for its purpose and its purpose is the good of all of us.
1: Yeah. I, I love that. And it really resonates with me, actually. When we're interviewing for our business, we're a recruitment business. It's not rocket science. And, you know, when I I, I talk to anyone that comes into the business, that it's so important for me that... Anyone interviewing doesn't just want a job you know, because they want to make commission and they want to earn me good money. I say, look, we're not saving lives. We're not doctors or or whatever, but actually you can change lives from helping someone find their dream job. And that in itself is a hugely rewarding experience. You can give them time back with their family. You can get them on the property ladder. You can do so many things and you can play a fundamental role. And so I I want people to look at it like that and actually see there's a much bigger picture than the paycheck or whatever. I think it's so important. It does lead me to my next question, Mo. Terms of, do you think it's possible to find a purpose in in any job, no matter how mundane it is? Because I guess it's one thing being a an exec at Google X or or, or you know the, the the sexier jobs that are out there. Are there are there
0: particular conditions that need to be met, or, or or can you find purpose anywhere? I don't know if my answer will be the answer you want. I don't think you can ever find purpose. And um, allow me to come back to that in a second. Uh, I think you can find micro purpose and joy in everything you do, including cleaning the dishes. Okay. What do I mean by that? If you imagine that life is not about the future, which is the very Western way of looking at life, it's, you know, we're constantly planning for tomorrow and and 10 years away. Okay. If you imagine that life is just about now, then the purpose of cleaning the dishes is to do it as best as you can and enjoy yourself. Okay. That's it's, it's as simple as that. Hmm? If there are others in your life, then the purpose may extend a little bit too, so that they have clean dishes when they need them. Right. And you can take that simple task and do it with so much dedication and, and purpose hmm? that this uh, simple task becomes your flow. It becomes your purpose. It becomes your, your, uh, your reward in life. Okay. And then you put the dishes down and you turn to the right to make a coffee and that coffee can become your new purpose. Now, let's talk about the big purpose and huh? the big Western productized view of purpose. It's when I say productized, it's because, you know, we always set purpose as a point in the future. But once again, if time is now, you need to start telling yourself, and how do I chase that? How do I, so I have 1 billion happy. I don't want to call this a purpose. I want to call it an ambition. Okay. now that ambition, is really interesting because it motivates me. It directionally puts me in a certain direction when I wake up in the morning. I, I, I'm also the CEO of a very highly advanced technological startup. But, you know, I split my life between them somehow, and I have that purpose. Hmm? The interesting side is when I taught one billion, uh, Sorry, Solve for Happy, after I wrote the book, when I wrote Solve for Happy the first time, you know, I, when I spoke about it publicly the first time, it was in Hong Kong Technical University. Uh, it was the second time. Sorry, I spoke about it in Stanford, uh, taught uh, nine lectures that are actually all available on, online, uh, nine hours. And then I taught uh, in Hong Kong Technical University. And after uh, the session, a, a sage-like woman came to me and she approached me and said, I just want you to know uh, something. And I said, what? And she said, uh, you didn't choose this. You were chosen for this. OK, and then she left. Right. And I I completely stood there like, hold on, hold on. And, you know, there are others I'm talking to and she disappeared. okay, And I remembered when my son, again, Ali, Ali was an amazing teacher. He came to me once when I was at Google X. Now I'm like this high muscle executive. I get everything done. I'm really good at this shit. Right. And, you know, Ali walks to me one day and he goes, Papa, I just want you to know something. You're never going to fix the world. And I was like, why, Ali? Why, why don't you have the spark? You know, why don't you want to make a difference? You know, and he said, Papa, I don't want to upset you. You're never going to change the world. The only thing you can change is your little world. And when you do that well, your little world will be expanded for you. The only thing you can do is affect yourself. And then when you affect yourself, you can have the right to talk to me and my sister and mommy and when you talk to us really well, you can expand that to the rest of your family, then your department at work, then maybe your company, then maybe your country, then maybe to the whole wide world, right? And when you really look at everything I've ever done in my life, that's been true. Hmm? I, I didn't choose One Billion Happy. Ali died and I had to write the book. I didn't, that was my, not, not my conscious choice. If you had asked me one day before Ali died, I would have told you my purpose in life is to empower startups uh, from outside the United States to become as big as Google. That was my story that I told myself. Look at where I am now. Life chose for me a different purpose. And that different purpose, believe it or not, matches me so much better. And every day I do it, it becomes bigger. So every day I do it my followers grow every day I do it I get more invitations to meet others my little world is expanding from me and Ali working on happiness to tens of millions of people right and maybe maybe we should lose the arrogant of i am capable of finding that purpose maybe we should remember that gamers are all about honing on their craft being so good at something that life goes like, yeah, that gamer is, is ready. That mm-hmm. gamer should be given the task, okay, of changing something in the world. That's when purpose starts to show. You don't choose your life purpose. I think your life's purpose finds you. It chooses you.
1: Yeah, love that. Thank you, mate. Well, um, before we get on to our final, I, just, I could talk to you for hours, but um, we did put it out there to our listeners that you were coming on and had... A number of questions so i just wanted to get a couple of them in before we finish so somebody one of our listeners asked what can we all do on a daily basis to bring a bit more happiness into our daily lives whether it's at work or or outside of work and i think this is something right now in the time we're in where we've all in the uk here we've been locked down 3.0 it's all getting a little bit samey yeah any 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 suggestions
0: I'll say two sides uh, very, very quickly. One one side is happiness is just like fitness. It's a, it's a choice, believe it or not. Okay. You know, and, and uh, sadly, we can't share all of it here. But every part of my content, if you're a reader, read it in the book. If you're, uh, you know, uh, into YouTube or Facebook or whatever, find me. You'll find a lot of content for free. Uh, if you're into podcasts, listen to, listen to slow-mo. There is a ton of content. The, cho- the idea here is choice. Okay. So let me tell you this. If you prioritize your fitness, eat healthy, and work out four times a week, you'll be fitter right? It's not that complicated. knowing that doesn't make you fitter, okay you have to prioritize it you have to work out four times four to five times a week. you have to eat healthy similarly with happiness, okay with happiness, it's very predictable in my work, I say happiness follows an equation, a predictable mathematical equation okay so If you invest in it, if you go to the happiness gym, watch a video, listen to a podcast, do something that makes you happier, spend time with happier people hmm, four times a week. And if you make happiness your priority, so next time you interview for a job, you don't interview for a job that gives you a 100 pounds more, you interview for a job that makes you happier. Okay. If you do those two things, you'll be happier. So there's no doubt about it. Now, what will your happiness, Jim, look like? That's a topic for another invitation for us to have another 40 minutes. Mm? You might be very different than me, but at the end of the day, if you invest in your happiness, you'll get there. The second, and by the way, happiness, just for you to know, has nothing to do with that with what the world gives you. Again, the equation basically says it has everything to do with how you handle what the world gives you. So it's guaranteed that if you go to the gym to learn how to handle what the world gives you, you'll be fine. That's number one. Number two is in the current times. Okay. I call this the lockdowns and COVID-19 and all that we're going through. I call this the golden age of empathy. Okay. Why is it the golden age of empathy? Empathy is defined as the ability for you to be able to feel what another is feeling. Hmm? It's the easiest thing you can do today because you wake up in the morning, you're frustrated because you haven't been to the pub for two weeks or 10 weeks or a month or 16 weeks, I don't know, then you're basically, I mean, you guys sneak and go to each other pubs, I know. So anyway, right. So, so if, if you feel that way, you can absolutely feel certain in your heart that 60% of your friends are feeling the same. If you're frustrated from the, by, for, by working from home, you can absolutely guarantee that almost half of the people that are on the calls you're attending are frustrated for working from home right if if you have a, a child at home and it's very difficult to cope with both half of your friends have a child at home and it's very difficult to cope with both you can have empathy for what others are feeling the problem with empathy is when empathy is in a negative environment you keep feeling negativity okay the only way you can turn that negativity into happiness is to turn this into the golden age of compassion to turn it into action okay empathy is the feminine side to be able to feel to be in other person's shoe Uh, compassion is to take action to do right and to do is very simple feeling lonely pick up the phone and call a friend okay they're lonely too feeling that the call is difficult at work make it easier by making a comment that says hey by the way i didn't understand this anyone else didn't understand it can we talk about it again right and so on and so on if you wake up every morning and you tell yourself the purpose of today for me is i'm gonna open my eyes and i'm going to make someone else happy one person my sister, my, my a girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever that is, I'm going to try to make one person happy for one minute. Today, you will wake up every morning with a purpose that is very different than complaining about the government, Okay, Then listening to the BBC telling you that the world is going to end. Just wake up today and say, what am I going to do to make the world a little happier? And happiness that results from making another person happy is the highest level of happiness.
1: Yes. I love that and I really hope anyone listening to this that is struggling can take that on board because I think it's it's simple but brilliant so thank you so much for sharing that we sadly are pretty much at the end we've got three wrap-up questions that I always like to ask this is called the 40-minute mentor so naturally I'm a big believer in in mentorship and, and and you already are showcasing some wonderful mentorship here today I've got to ask do you have a mentor yourself and if so how have they helped you in your career journey
0: Everyone is my mentor. I had Ali as my biggest mentor ever in my life, right? But everyone that comes my way is a mentor. And I think having a mentor is about admitting to yourself that you need to be a mentee. Okay? And if you become that, then everyone is teaching you something. Everyone. And and if you have the humbleness to tell yourself, everyone knows something better than I do. Okay? Whatever that thing is, then everyone will be your mentor. My advice, however, is I had a guest uh, Sunil Gupta on my on my podcast he's actually releasing next week. Basically, saying it's not just the mentor. He call it he calls it a circle of support. It's a mentor. It's a cheerleader. It's a critic, uh, and it's one more F- four Cs. He calls them okay. And, and and it's that circle that determines not only your success, by the way. He did this, a research in Bhutan around what is the one question that will tell you if someone is happy or not. It is if they have that circle, okay? If they have a circle of people that are supporting them, then they are very likely to be happy and very likely to, to be successful very likely to be successful. Huh? And, and the interesting thing is when it's a circle, it's not one way or two ways. So if I asked you, who's your, uh, you, you know, who is one person in your circle that will always be there for you? And you said, Mo, when they ask me, I will say it's you. And it's so interesting to build that little circle, not just mentors.
1: Interesting. If you were to be mentored by one person, who would that be out of interest?
0: Einstein, hands, hands down. Yeah,
1: yeah okay great answer (laughs)
0: yeah
1: (laughs) fair enough and last couple of questions mate um you've had an incredibly successful career Uh, so i'd be interested to know how would you like to be remembered
0: i don't want to be remembered at all okay at all that's another myth of the modern world as a matter of fact our our one billion happy mission is very straightforward we want to create a million champions that will champion a billion happy and we will be completely forgotten Okay. The problem with being remembered is that whatever positive impact I would leave behind would decay when I'm not there anymore. Okay. And in all honesty, in all honesty, if you believe in karma, why why would you want your karma to be wasted on being remembered? Great answer. Honestly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
1: And, And finally, for any listeners that are thinking about making a big career move right now, it could be a bit of a risk, but ultimately, it would make them happier. What final piece of advice would you leave them with?
0: Don't take big risks. Take sure steps. If you're unhappy in your career right now, if you're unhappy with your partner, if you're unhappy with a friend, make sure that you take a step closer to a happy place every day. Okay? So I I said I never spent any time in a job that I didn't like, but that didn't mean I left the same day. That meant, I mean, I remember when I was leaving IBM, uh, I gave my boss 11 months' notice. I said, look, I'm going to leave after 11 months. I'll finish my quota first, okay? And then I'll wait for you to find someone. Please don't find someone before and fire me. But IBM didn't do that, okay? And, and, you know, when that someone is ready and handed over to, I will have found my next job. And I will make sure that I don't leave to my next job before 11 months. We had a wonderful agreement. And it was fine, and everyone was, was, was perfect about it. Huh? There, there, is, there is no need to keep the pressure cooker boiling to the point where you have to explode and run. When you realize you need to make a choice and a change, take your time. Take your time and make that choice in a responsible, deliberate way over time. The minute you know that you're heading in a different direction, the pressure will go away.
1: That is a brilliant place to leave it. Mo, thank you so much for joining us on the 40 Minute Mentor. I know anyone that would have listened to this will have been incredibly inspired by uh, everything you stand for. So, so thank you so much for sharing that.
0: I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Once again, I hope uh, we left some value and, and hopefully some food for thought.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.